Welcome to Teeth and Titanium, a podcast about oral surgery, residency, and life. We would like to thank the Canadian Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery for their continued support. All opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and their guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the CAOMS. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for surgical decision making. Welcome everybody to Teeth and Titanium episode 34. This is our August 2023 episode. Oscar, how's it going? It's good. We're already in August. Like where'd this year go by? Not only this year, but the summer. I really no. thought the summer the summer's went been crazy. by really quickly. The weather's already getting a little bit colder. It is. We get up Not and I'm happy. like, it's it's colder in the morning when I wake up. Yes. Yeah, that's what it is. In the morning, it was bright before, t-shirt and shorts. Now it's getting a little bit colder. Not uh, not ideal. Oh, you know what? I'm actually not complaining because my house is so old and my air conditioning is so bad that it's like, you know what? When they, it gets a little bit cooler, it's cooling down a bit. <laughs> I'm like, my house is more livable. So I'm not complaining that much. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely uh, summer is flying by, which is a good thing. One thing I didn't want to talk about, you know, summer season in clinic, as you mentioned, because you've been in prior practice a little bit longer than I have, but you always did tell me, you know, summer, summer, March break, December break, like these are the crazy times. You Busy. really got to. You got to be busy. You got to you got to really try and make hay when the sun shines. So how's it been going for you? How's summer been for you so far? Uh, and honestly, I thought like maybe it'd be a little different with kind of the little guy around. So I have made I have structured my schedule a little bit differently. Like I am taking more days off here and there. Like I'm not taking hmm. full vacation weeks because we can't really travel with him just yet. But right. I am sprinkling in some days here and there, which is nice because I get to hang out with him and hang out with Lex. Mm-hmm. But when I am at the office, it is it's been it's been busy. So it's good. It's exhausting. Like I, I'm ready for September to get here. A little bit of a yeah. slowdown, but it's been good. But it is funny. So I'm sure this happens to you, but it happened to me last summer. Like you're in the moment. It's summer. It's busy. You're feeling good. You're getting all the wisdom teeth cases done. And then September hits and you're like busy. You're like, whoa, my schedule is busy. But then you quickly realize it's like, it's all the people that you oh, didn't want to do in the summer. So 100%, it's just like a like, backlog of everything it, else. It, like you backdate everybody. Like my schedule is like blocked off IV eights only or IVs only. And then in September, you're yeah. like, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of con access that are going to be coming in. Like yeah, yeah. a lot of locals, <laughs> yeah, a lot of, yeah. like, a lot all of biopsies. It's like, oh, this is yeah, a lot I of I, biopsies. I'm like, I think I got to take a vacation in September. <laughs> get, get the formal, <laughs> get the formal in jars yeah. ready. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that I did that. I'm actually am planning a vacation in September. So I'm going away, going away for a week with the whole family, me, Bianca, and the two kids going to Florida. For what week. week are you taking off? The second week of September. Oh, me too. I already have it booked. I'm not, I don't know if I'm doing anything, but I have it booked off September 8th. To oh, like, come to Florida. It's on our list right now. The only thing is it's hurricane season though. Oh, is it? I see. I don't check these things. I just, yeah, just go again <laughs> and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. But I'm on the West side. Does that make a difference? That doesn't get hit, right? I don't know. We're not talking about gangs here. I have no idea, man. <laughs> but I, so what I, days did you book off i have off september 8th which is like the friday after the work day till the 18th which is the monday that's the same week as me man <laughs> we'll talk after yeah, i'll send, yeah, you, I'll yeah, send yeah. you my details yeah. you, you'll like the you'll like the hotel i booked it has like kids stuff it has adult stuff it's okay nice send that yeah we'll talk after this is done yeah we'll, we'll yeah. talk after that so it's good it's good that summer's been busy i'm glad everything's going well with you without further ado let's jump into some current events So I, I want to bring Brad into the intro because, you know, we've had some controversies on this podcast before, and the one that comes to mind immediately it was hashtag Audigate, which I remember was with Nick McCool. To be honest, looking back, I don't really get what the controversy was or why we made such a big deal out of it. I mean, he just bought an Audi. I don't know why we cared so much. 
<laughs> but I think I think it was something along the lines of he told me how Acuras are the best. And, 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 and then you like jumped on that. And then, and then I then jumped on that. I bought an Acura and then he bought an Audi. Yeah, yeah. So He's like, like, I can't have the same car as Wendell. No, that's not happening. Yeah. So I think that was the summary of it. But not, not looking back, maybe not as dramatic or as big a deal as I thought. But I think we have a bigger one, Oscar. And, and I do need your advice on how to handle this because mm-hmm. it involves two different parties. And I'll start with, I'll start with the first party that, you know, we're very familiar with. And that's, you know, my Serge Ortho colleagues, Marco Caminiti and Fritz Kinley. Yeah. This is, this has almost become like a tired storyline where we're constantly coming back to this and we're talking about boats and yachts. And, you know, Fritz has mentioned, he, he, he said to the audience, he said live to them in Iceland that, you know, I don't own a canoe. I don't own a boat. Wendell's imagining all these things. He really came down hard on yeah. me. But, you know, Sir Jorthal was ending in June and it's the, it's the summer. As we said, the weather's nice. And I'm happy to say I was invited onto a boat to celebrate Ooh. the end of Sir Jorthal with okay. some, some prominent orthodontists, with the, the Sir Jorthal faculty. But before we jump into it, let me, let me just play you a little bit of a recording okay. from that excursion that I had. So I'm here reporting live for Teeth and Titanium on... What I can only describe as a yacht, but I'm a little bit confused here because I'm with not only Fritz Keenly, but Marco Caminiti, who have, you know, for years now maintained they do not have yachts and do not have boats. And this is all fictitious in my mind. So let's let's just get their opinion. Marco, what is going on? Are we not on your yacht? Like, what am I missing here? We just broke into this marina and uh, let's quickly get out of here before we get caught. Fritz, is this your boat? Is that what Marco's saying? Like, what's going on here? We're, we're on a yacht. We're drinking. What? Can you explain this? Let me just open a beer. And uh, this is not my boat. I do not have one, and I'll stand by that, and I plead the fifth. <laughs> okay, so no, no answers here, but I can confirm I'm with Marco and Fritz on a boat, and someone here owns it, and it's not me, and it's not Fritz. <laughs> we'll leave it up to the listeners to decide. Cheers. So, Oscar, am I imagining things? Like, I was on this boat. Like, what am I missing here? Am I missing something here? Honestly, He's just, I think we're just going to leave the, you know, a topic where you don't touch anymore. You just leave it alone. Yeah. You're like, like, I think if not, if, I think if you keep bringing it up, you might go missing the next boat tour. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because while we were literally in the middle of Lake Ontario, I can't remember if it was Marco or Fritz, someone brought up the fact that this is how someone's like wife went missing. <laughs> you know, you just brought them out of the middle of the lake, throw them overboard. No one can ever find yeah. them. Yeah, like in this person's no one wife. Knows yeah, there's no like, recording. This person's wife's name was Wendell. <laughs> <laughs> they just disappeared. So, yeah, yeah. as you mentioned, we'll, we'll leave it at that and we'll let the listeners decide. And at the same time, I was thinking, well, I mean, what do we know? We, we don't own these fancy things. We're not bougie like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked many times that we don't own boats. We don't own a yacht. But then, you know, yeah. a certain photo <laughs> comes in and it's of this beautiful boat on a beautiful dock. Yeah. And it looks it looks like a really nice it boat. I wouldn't amazing. describe it as a yacht. I wouldn't nope. describe it as a yacht. I don't really know what the difference is between a boat and a yacht, but I, I would describe this as a boat. Yeah. More more boat. And I'm thinking, oh, is this uh, you know, is this Jeff Bezos's? Is this Warren Buffett's? And no, it actually belongs to none other than our producer, Brad Ray. So And he was quiet the whole to, time. He was quiet <laughs> the whole time. So welcome to hashtag boatgate. Brad, do you have anything to say for yourself? I'm gonna take invoke the section thirteen. <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> if the Canadians complete the fifth, I'll take section 13, which is the equivalent <laughs> in Canada. <laughs> and the funniest part is Brad sends the picture of his boat. It's actually Oscar, your, res- 
or pontoon or whatever yeah. you call it. And Oscar's response is, wait, is this your house? Like, where are you? Yeah, like this is you on vacation or something. I'm like, who is this undercover? Like, yeah, like you said, Jeff Bezos, this guy's backyard. I'm like, what am I doing living in Toronto? <laughs> yeah, no. So, <laughs> Brad, Google are you a big boater? Yeah, 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 right. We saw you drinking a beer on this. Yeah, yeah. How long have you had this pontoon, Brad? And do you get out on it a lot or give us a little bit of the background? I do live on a lake. I do go on a pontoon probably three to five days a week. <laughs> wow. 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 That's a lot. So you obviously really enjoy it then. Yeah. It's a fairly new purchase. We saved up for it. I do have a second boat. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is going but on? But it's a, a sailboat that our local Peridonis gave to me. So it's a freebie. Wow. But it, that's what started my boating nice experience. Wow, yeah. that's a really nice pair. So it's a sailboat he had in his garage for 10 years. How many years times did you then... bail him out? <laughs> no, it's no, a small town, so his wife actually works at my office part-time. So. Wow. <laughs> so we have oh, a close nice. connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really nice. This guy's yeah. got two boats. Problem when you're, this is the problem when your producer is in the same profession, but like 10 years more advanced. Yeah. <laughs> He's got two boats. It's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Oh, credit to Brad. He could be on his boat, but instead he's hanging out with us. <laughs> Another thing I want to bring up with you guys is, are you guys big baseball fans? Like Oscar and I have talked many times about how we're obsessed with all sports. We'll play any sport, anything with the score, board games, yeah. ping pong. Like you literally put anything. That was my answer to be. To it's watch a sport. Play. Watch it. Yeah, exactly. But do you actually like follow baseball, watch baseball? Like, do you like baseball? So that answers that question is, is two different ways. When the Jays were killing it like three or four years ago, yeah, I think mm -hmm. everyone in Toronto watched them a ton. Yeah, I always do watch playoff baseball, even if the Jays aren't in it. Regular season, uh, I don't know. I'm a bit here or there, especially now when I'm busier. Before I would say, yeah, I would watch some games. Now, not really. If I if I'm scrolling and it's on and I'm like, I got nothing else, I'll leave it on. Playoff mm -hmm. baseball for sure, I'll watch. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. How about you, Brad? It's America's pastime. It is. So it's like wow. Canadians growing up. Most people will skate. You know, we played Little League. It's probably more soccer now, but when I was growing up, it was definitely Little League. So I'm a diehard oh. Chicago Cubs fan. You're a Cubs well, fan. You're a, oh, yeah. you're a diehard well, baseball fan. Hold on, you're impressive. a Cubs fan. Yeah. You're a Dolphins football fan. Iowa doesn't have professional sports, so we just oh, okay. Okay. But kind of my hometown was the Cubs single A team when I was a kid. Okay. So and that... then the triple A team plays in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Oh, okay, that makes roof. sense. Because I was like, "Where you're all over the map?" But yeah, you're right. You were you're in Iowa. Okay, so no actual. Yeah, so I, I grew up about three hours west of Chicago. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, the reason I bring this up is I'm, I'm not, as I said, I, I'll play any sport. Mm -hmm. Like if you told me next Saturday is like a exhibition baseball softball match, and Wendell, can you come play? I'm like, yeah, I'm there. Yeah, like, I love it. Yeah, I'll play it. Don't really watch baseball. I find it too slow. I know they introduced the pitch count, which has made it a lot better. Yeah, a lot faster. But, you know, I'm not, not really huge into baseball, to be honest. But Bianca's friends had tickets oh, to nice. the game. Nice. So they invited us. So we said, yeah, absolutely, let's go. And I will say one thing about baseball is that attending a live game, it is by far the best social sport you can go yeah, to. Yeah, because you can talk half the time. You can so talk slow. the entire game yeah. and miss nothing. Yeah, except to hit, hit in the head with a baseball once it's a line drive. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> A ball was basically four seats away and oh. almost just destroyed a guy that wasn't paying attention. He was turning around talking to his friend and it almost just destroyed wow. him like four yeah. seats down. But Brad, it's ironic you mentioned that because the game I went to, they were playing the Chicago Cubs. I know. I thought Ooh. about contacting you guys to have That's a, a nice game to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you should have told us for sure. I was at the game, so we lost 6-2. So good for Brad, bad for me. Kids go or just um, you guys? Just you and Bianca or the kids too? No, just Bianca. Okay. It was a nighttime game. Nice. That was a nighttime game. 
Cool. So that's good. I was just kind of curious about what you thought about the movie. But yeah, I would highly recommend it just as a social outing. Especially if you want to catch up with someone, you meet up, go to the Jay-Z, and you talk for like three hours and watch the game. It was actually it was quite a nice time. I really enjoyed it. Was the dome open? And the dome was open. Way the better. The weather was perfect. Way better. Yeah. Just like perfect. Not too hot. Breeze. T-shirt and shorts weather. Just like the dream weather. Yeah. One kind of minor shout out I wanted to mention, Oscar. You know, I was, I was talking with one of our mutual friends, Alia, and I told her to listen to a certain episode because her name came up. And then she got really excited and she listened to the episode. And maybe it was a two and a half hour episode. And we mentioned her for 10 seconds. So <laughs> she's actually like really mad and disappointed that I made her listen to the entire episode. She's like, seriously, but the percentage of, of time that she listened to for the percentage of recognition, that's pretty low. Yeah, it was pretty low. Like, I guess it was, if I was in her position, I'd be pretty mad too. Yeah. But the funny thing is that my inception technique kind of worked because now she listens and she was talking to me about Sean Edwards episode. She really liked it. And so what I, I, I think she wanted us to talk about her a little bit more. And she was disappointed. I just kind of mentioned her name to move on. So yeah, I just wanted to mention Alia now we can move on. Yeah, and I, before we move, she's an awesome human being. Like overall, just an amazing person. Yeah, but let's not let's not spend too much time. We don't want her to think. <laughs> yeah, let's delete this part. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> and then the last thing I wanted to bring up was, you know, we talked about Boatgate, and we gave Brad a chance to defend himself. But I, I have to give myself a pat on the back, Oscar, and that's because when we brought Brad on, mm-hmm. I was very clear that we should give him a six episode trial. Yep put him on probation and see if he merits becoming full-time executive producer. This is a big deal. This is, this is our baby. This is teeth and titanium. We take this seriously. And you said, no, you, I think you said after one episode, you were sold. sold. You were sold. Yeah. So I think it took me three episodes and I was also sold, but part of that might've just been peer pressure from our audience that like consistently told me Brad was amazing. It was definitely peer pressure from you making me look bad. Like, wow, this guy needs so much time. So listen, I embrace Brad and I welcomed him to the family, but you know, they say it's only those who you love that can can hurt you the most. And I, I just feel like Brad has just blown up into this his own little thing where people are emailing to talk to Brad. People are going up in conferences and talking to Brad. He's got two boats. He's got two boats. <laughs> and now it's to the point where Brad is like doing guest episodes on other podcasts. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Oscar, do you feel any any shame or remorse for guilting me? And, and should we have put Brad on a longer trial period? So I wouldn't say no to that because I'm going to say one, the fact that he's being invited on the podcast shows his worth. So that's one. Two, I think if we put him on probation and he got mad at us, he would have been poached by somebody else. So I'm not mad at all for taking a, taking a flyer on Brad and signing him up right away. So you're okay with Brad betraying us as long as he returns to us? Yeah, as long as he knows where his home base is. Because if he betrays <laughs> us, we're done. <laughs> like, I'm South American. We're absolutely ruthless. Like if you talk, it's done. <laughs> this is this is the, this is like the official trial of Brad. That's the episode title: the trial of Brad. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brad, Brad, would you like to defend yourself? Section twelve. That's, this guy's got his section twelve <laughs> He keeps listing sections that I don't even know, but I'm looking up this legal jargon on like Google right now. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll coax it out of him one time, but we wanted to say congrats to Brad. He's, he's blowing up. He's becoming his own celebrity. Yeah, he deserves it. So without further ado, we wanted to jump into our resident reminder section. So resident reminder, Oscar, this, this episode, we actually kind of had a nice thing that happened, which is that in the journal, they actually had a position paper. Yeah. And position papers are big deals kind of similar in concept to the white papers where, you know, they're meant to be experts come together and they make recommendations that's considered not, it's almost supposed to be kind of the standard of care, what you're really supposed to be doing moving forward. And 
On this one, it was called the American Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons Position Paper on Oral Mucosal Dysplasia. So we thought this would be a great article, not only to review, but kind of serve as our resident reminder because yeah. they do kind of explain what the concept is and what you're supposed to do. I did also laugh because, you know, we always do our pre-screening and as you said, position paper is great. The names are very recognizable and yep. people that we know. But it's funny when you look at the title, it's like you get kind of these baller titles that start coming in, like endowed chairman, fellowship director, <laughs> professor and chairman. Like these are like the high level ones. Like normally, you know, you see like assistant professor, you know, like yeah, program director. Like once you get to like endowed chairman, I feel like we're getting into like these different no, levels. These of are heavy hitters for sure. The bureaucracy that we don't understand. So it's by Carlson, Katamani, Ward and Oriati. So as we mentioned, it came out in Jameis in August. And basically, what they said is the purpose of this position paper is to inform the clinician about the diagnosis and management of oral mucosal dysplasia, as well as its epidemiology, type, management, and outcome. So we like that purpose. Yep. This is kind of like a summary paper, yep. position paper. And the thing about position papers and white papers that they have to do is you have to explain literally from A to Z. You know, you, you can't just assume people know what no. dysplasia is. You really got to explain from the beginning, like, this is the problem. This is what you're looking at. And this is how to treat it, which is nice as far as a resident reminder goes, because perfect, it serves though. as like a good article for them. So there were 35 papers deemed to provide reasonable evidence and appropriate for final review. Some cool things about epidemiology. They said alcohol and tobacco have a synergistic effect with heavy alcohol consumption and tobacco use having 38 times yeah. the risk of developing oral cancer compared to those who refrain from both. So kind of a nice kind of stat yeah. that they can uh, That's talk an in about. That's in-your-face stat right there. Yeah. And also, you know, sometimes we do have patients that we're talking to about pathology and they're heavy smokers and you're trying to caution them to stop. Mm -hmm. But you do want to kind of have some evidence behind explaining why you're advising smoking cessation or stopping drinking. So it's nice to have some stats behind that. Then they say, despite technological advances in cancer therapies, the five-year survival rate for oral cancer remains at approximately 50% for most populations and has not changed significantly for the past three decades. I was honestly surprised at that. Yeah. So I wasn't as surprised that I remember this is something they always told us at McGill. Yeah. And it's something actually one of our previous guests, Michelle Alakim, is really, really big about in his lectures because he talks about screening and yeah. treatment and prognosis um, and, and survival. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and one of his big things was, you know, people are sometimes really focused on screening and diagnosing, but remember if you're survival and your long-term survival isn't getting longer you're actually not really improving yeah, the quality like, of life what are you doing what's the point yeah because maybe they died at point x no matter what but you just diagnosed them five years early did it really change anything yeah in fact maybe you added five years of stress to their life so i remember they talked about that a lot so it's unfortunate you know the survival rate is still very low then they go into the types of dysplasia so basically they talk about you know changes in the oral mucosa that possess changes in color histology uh, molecular characteristics compared to normal tissues and then from a clinical point of view, it can be described as white, so a leukoplakia, red as an erythroplakia, or a mixed red and white lesion, erythroleukoplakia. Mm -hmm. Now, is this kind of the training that you had, Oscar, as well during your residency? Like, what was your experience with pathology or dysplasia, and how were you taught to kind of approach these patients when you were seeing them? So I would say, first of all, for residents, this is a great paper in that sense. I'll, I'll jump to that in the sense of, yeah. kind of like you said, outlining A to Z, if you, especially if you're newer, like if you're a first year or an intern, it does give you the basics. And yeah, I would say our training was very similar to this. Like that's how we group the dysplasias. You group them, yeah, by kind of appearance, but also then histologically, they'll go further down the line as they go through the article, mild, moderate, severe carcinoma in situ. So I would say this is pretty much exactly how we did our pathology. 
And at UFT, you have the oral pathology program. Mm -hmm. So they have their own residents. You have a lot of staff that you've worked with as a resident. I work with at Mount Sinai, yep. great staff. So did you have any exposure to, to that program or those residents yeah, or those so, staff? So we do share, I don't know if they still do. When I went right the residency, we did shared rounds on Fridays. So like we would mm -hmm. all meet at the faculty Fridays for an hour and a half in the morning and we would go through slides. So like it'd just be cases that would be presented and be like, okay, differential diagnosis. Then you would do the, what's the treatment you would do. And then you would look at the histology slides and then we would kind of all give our differential diagnosis and then the pathology actual attendings would go over what it is and what you're looking at. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was actually very good. That's one of the things about having a center like Toronto that has multiple specialties is if it's done appropriately, you can leverage off other specialties. So yeah. you just talked about oral pathology. I obviously always talk about orthodontics, you know, the surgical orthodontic yeah. clinic, how we have jaw surgery and teaching the orthodontists and the residents and learning from each other at the same time. At McGill, you know, the only specialty was oral surgery. So we didn't have that kind of cross-specialization. Yeah. So then you really rely on people from the private practice coming to teach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we were lucky kind of near the end of my residency where one of the oral pathologists, Dr. Samim, she would come in and give kind of a lecture series, kind of similar to what you described. Mm -hmm. She put up slides over the histology differentials and to tell you what it actually is. You could actually look at it under the microscope and things like that. So it's actually quite beneficial, I think, to leverage off other people. And I think it's beneficial for the pathology residents too. Like they know the histology like amazing, that's their job, right? But a lot of times mm -hmm. they would ask us, oh, how would you treat this? What would you do in this? So I think they learned a lot as well, but in, in reality, in teaching us, they were great. Like those things were really, really helpful for histology. So then they mentioned, you know, things go beyond the color. You have to talk about leukoplakias can be categorized as homogenous, non-homogenous, and they describe kind of some examples of what things look like. Remember leukoplakia, they always mention this, and I remember this is, this is common kind of on the boards going over differentials. Leukoplakia doesn't designate the presence or absence of dysplasia. Mm -hmm. it, it's literally just, you know, a white lesion. It's a clinical diagnosis. As soon as you have a biopsy or, you know, a pathological diagnosis, you can't say it's a leukoplakia yeah, anymore. Yeah, exactly. And that's a mistake that's commonly made. Uh, erythroplakias are more red patches. And although it's, once again, just a clinical diagnosis, we know that erythroplakias and erythroleukoplakias have a much higher mm -hmm. degree of severity, usually on biopsy. And especially erythroplakias, you have to... Uh, really kind of worry about what the histology is. Now, when it comes to other subtypes, they talk about other things like proliferative rucoslugoplakia, and they, they actually give like good kind of, I, I found clinical photos and histological photos yep. explaining what things look like. So I totally agree with you, Oscar. Like, this is a great article, you know, for people to actually read and look at the pictures. It kind of gives you a good up-to-date kind of refresher on dysplasias yeah. and what to great. look for. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really nice. So for the residents, dysplasia has historically been graded as mild, moderate, severe, and CIS, or carcinoma in situ. Now, obviously, this article has to go into the fact that, you know, there's some controversies about this mm -hmm. grading scale and how it is kind of subjective and where right. it is one-third end and two-thirds end and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, and I, I do kind of roll my eyes a little bit every time I read this because they always mention this, but it's like everyone uses it. And they still do. So, they even said it in the article. We're going to mention it. Yeah, we're going to use yeah. it. They literally said They're that. like, yeah, even the article couldn't put up like part of a state where it's like, we're still going to use it. They do mention this binary two-stage system, which actually seems like it should be more legitimate lit, or more legitimate and kind of has like greater so, inter-observer agreement. And, and so I, maybe I thought it was just me, but I thought it, I thought it was legit. Like I thought it was good. I'm it, like more people agreeing with it and it does make it a little bit more, a little bit more streamlined lower high yeah. that's it like there's less it, it makes a lot more sense if you think about it it yeah. also helps guide your treatment decision making <laughs> yeah yeah i agree 
But now we're still using mild moderate severe CIS. They did mention though, and I actually well admit I, I I didn't know this that the WHO combines severe and CIS. Yes, I didn't know that either. Yes. So now now it's just severe. Mm-hmm. So they got rid of CIS. So that's actually nice to know, which kind of made sense I thought. So now it's just mild moderate severe, and it's based on the the amount of uh, atypical cells that are present in the epithelium, and it's usually like one third, one third to two thirds, and mm-hmm. then two thirds to full thickness. Then as soon as you invade past the basement membrane, it's full blown SEC. So. They did merge that in 2017. So that was a little bit of new information that I learned. One nice overall stat was they talked about lichen planus as well, because it's always a big question yeah. that comes up. And they basically said the malignant transformation of oral lichen planus is 1.14%. They do give you a little bit of stat. We did know it's very low, but now we can kind of quantify it. I like them. And also, yeah, exactly. And also, when it comes to lichen planus, the nice thing is we see it all the time. You get referrals about it all the time. And even if you see someone, it's not like you have to monitor them for that 1.14% chance. You have to explain it to them. And then, you know, when it happens, it's usually going to look like other erythroplakias or, mm-hmm. you know, ulcers, or it's going to look suspicious. And that's when you would initiate a biopsy. So in, in your practice, Oscar, I know you do have some oral pathologists that work with you guys. Like, how, how is, is there a specific way it's streamlined versus like, you know, what consoles will you see versus what someone else will see, will you just do the biopsies? Like, how does that work exactly? So kind of like that, actually. So we have two really awesome oral pathologists, Dr. Black and Dr. Leung. And Iona works with you at Sinai, too. So you probably see yeah. every once in a while. And so they're both yeah. amazing. And they make our clinic, honestly, so efficient in the sense that all the path is usually tried to be streamlined through them, but they are so busy that sometimes there's overflow to us, right? Mm-hmm. But usually they are the first line. They'll see them. If they need a biopsy, then they get put in any of the surgeon schedules. There's no real preference. It's like whoever's next available, put the biopsy in. So that really, really helps out. Obviously, if a referral comes in and the dentist puts ASAP or a yeah. anything like that, and we know our path isn't going to be able to see them for a month, two months, three months out, then we'll, we'll like look at it, we'll screen it, and we're like, yeah, this is something that's going to get biopsy. And we just put it in our schedule. So that's really how it works right now. So who is screening that? Is there like a treatment coordinator person? Like who's actually looking at those referrals and triaging this for you? So all of the path referrals originally go to them, to the path, like to the, uh, Iona or Dr. Black. But mm-hmm. then if they're like, no, this is needs to be seen right away and you can't get them in, they will kind of triage themselves. And then from there, like our coordinator, treatment plan coordinators will triage to all the surgeons and hey, can anyone see this patient right away? That's how it kind of happens. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So it's a good system because you, you do need to have those types of systems in place when you have multiple surgeons because you need to, because if everyone just thinks, oh, that person's going to take Someone care of it, no one will take care of it. Care yeah. Of it. No. yeah. Right. So you do need to have some. Okay. So that, I like that system. That makes a lot of sense. I think for me as a solo practitioner, maybe other people have smaller groups. It's a very similar process. We don't have the oral pathologists or oral medicines on board. So you will see everything yourself, but you do triage it. Yep. Meaning when they come in, you look at it and you say, okay, this is a pathology console, but based on the description thing, it should be, you know, seen within this amount of time. Yeah. But you're right. If they write ASAP, you're if they write that whole question mark, yeah, CC, you're like, yeah. I need to Today. see this person. This is, yeah, this is urgent. So you can kind of triage it appropriately. So I kind of like that. That's really nice about- when oh, yeah, your referrals sorry, send you pictures. Yeah, you know, I always I try agree. to tell them, please send pictures. So it helps me triage it really quickly. Yeah, tell my staff, okay, this looks like I need to see this sooner than later. So yeah, we've been seeing so. that a lot more now. We're getting all the intro photos. I agree with that, Brad. That, that's a great point, especially with the prevalence now. Not only intro photos, but just anyone can take a camera and yeah. take a picture of anything. Mm-hmm. And you're right, a picture is worth a thousand words. So it actually really, really helps. Especially because some people describe things as one thing. And then when you look at it, you're like, whoa, this is obviously something yeah, else. Or, this, oh, this is not a big deal. Like they're over-exaggerating type thing. You're like, that's a blueberry. The guy just ate a <laughs> <laughs> 
So other than they talk about in summary available evidence, the annual rate of malignant transformation for all leukoplakia is 1%. So I remember that's a common stat. Mm-hmm. You always get quiz on it. It's mm-hmm. always on the board exam. It's always in every textbook. So overall for leukoplakia is 1%. And they do talk about the risk factors uh, for malignant transformation are leukoplakia in a non-smoker. Yeah. And Michelle Alakim talked about that because remember, they're a non-smoker. No why are they getting this? Why? Yeah, there's no yeah. risk. Why are they getting this lesion? The non-homogenous type, long duration of the leukoplakia, females, and once you have the presence of epithelial dysplasia, and also if the size is greater than 200, I think they meant like millimeters squared here. They yeah. put meters squared, but obviously that, that was a type. That would be huge. <laughs> that would be huge. So that was really good to know about the evidence. For treatment, once again, unfortunately, really controversial, not not good guidelines. And I will say not to jump ahead, but this was one of the parts of the article I was a little bit disappointed with because when you put out a position paper or a white paper, you expect to know what to do. Yeah. Like, I think the greatest white paper of all time is the Emerange white paper because it's perfectly done. It explains everything and, and it tells you exactly what to do. And it's something that we all struggle with. So it is, it is the perfect position paper. Like we all hate yeah. it. We all have to deal with it. So it's like, thank, just give me the guidelines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really like that one. We know that cancer guidelines, even though cancer treatment is a little bit controversial, they have pretty strict guidelines mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of good data on that. But a little bit disappointed here. They they don't have a primary uh, consensus on what to do. It seems like overall the consensus that people follow is mild dysplasia. You'll observe yeah. unless it's a very, very high risk area or a high risk patient. And then you might consider either excising it completely or rebiopsying it moderate comes down to patient factors. So if they're high risk, you might remove it. If they're low risk, you might just observe. And then severe or CIS, you will always remove or do a biopsy, a decisional biopsy. How do you handle these? Let's say Oscar, uh, oral pathologist has triage dysplasia. It's just a routine thing. It's not like, you know, marked Mm -hmm. urgent. And they said, okay, they feel like a biopsy is needed and they refer to you. So it's on your calendar. I assume when it's on your calendar, it's not going to be a consult. It's going to be to it's be booked for the biopsy. Exactly. Yep. So you walk in, you see the room, you see the lesion, give the residents a little bit of information on how you're evaluating the lesion, also where you're choosing to do your biopsy. Because I think that's one of the most important things people know about when they're doing a biopsy is like where you actually biopsy and how you do it really, really matters. Yeah. So one, I will give credit to our orthologists. Their notes are so impeccable compared to surgeon notes. It's ridiculous. <laughs> when I walk into the room before I've seen the patient, I feel I can picture the lesion. That's how good yeah. the notes are. I'm like, wow, this okay. is impressive. And so then, yeah, but I still do the same basic exam, right? Like we still are asking their medical history, anything, any factors kind of like you were asking, do they smoke? Do they drink? How long has it been? So still do a full exam in that sense that everyone's aware of. And then it's after our actual t- talk with, with Michelle that I realized that I do this too. And I, I guess I never thought of it is when I examine, always doing extra exam. And then we focus in on look everywhere else. And then at the last thing, I'm going to look where the lesion is, where they've mentioned. But yes, I have to second his opinion. You have to have a gauze. You have to make sure the tissue is dry because it makes such a difference, especially on these, some of these really faint white lesions when it's wet or these little faint red lesions, you don't see them. And then as, as soon as you dry it, you're like, Oh, that's the difference. That's got a little bit of a shimmer and that's where it is. And so again, really looking at the extent of the lesion, seeing where it goes. And then when it's time to do the biopsy for, for me is one trying to decide, is this, they usually give us a guideline of what they want. Do they want incisional or excisional? Is it so small that I can only do an excisional? So trying to decide mm-hmm. the size of the biopsy and then looking at the lesion itself, trying to get the most representative sample of what you're looking at. That's what you're looking. Are you going to go, okay, the lesion is huge. 
you're going to go right to one end that doesn't look at all like the other rest of the Legion. Well, that's not really going to be representative of that. Mm -hmm. So trying to pick a spot where you know this is as representative of the entire Legion as I can get. And sometimes that may require multiple if the Legion is big enough and it looks so different in certain areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good tip. And always include uh, some normal tissue along to. with the lesion. Like you can't just biopsy the middle yeah. of the ulcer. I'm going to take the middle of the ulcer. ulcer. There's nothing diagnostic from it. Yeah, yeah. non-diagnostic. So always you do a border, probably the highest risk border that you can find or whatever looks the worst or whatever's most representative. And I think it's a good point you make about don't be afraid to do multiple biopsies, yeah. like maybe two sides of the lesion. Or another common thing is if you do a biopsy and you're really worried and it comes back as nothing or or non-indeterminate or, mm -hmm. you know, you know, not specified, just do another one. Yeah. Just explain it's to okay the to patient, do another you know, one. yeah, yeah. The pathologist feels like they need more tissue to give a confirmed diagnosis and we want to be sure. So we got to send you another one. So the next they had their follow-up that they recommend. So it's dependent on the clinician preferences as well as standardized guidelines, because unfortunately standardized guidelines don't exist. A lot of people will see patients every three months, every six months, annually, never again. Like it's so variable. Yeah. I think for the patients with mild dysplasia, usually they're follow up annually, sometimes by their primary dentist, sometimes mm -hmm. by a pathologist, sometimes by the surgeon. I think when it gets to moderate and above, people are seeing them at least annually, sometimes every six months. And then for severe, usually you're treating it. Yeah. So you're, it's more a follow up for recurrence or progression. So that's going to be, you know, depending on what the pathology and the final pathology was. And we really do rely on our oral pathology, oral medicine colleagues, because the unfortunate reality is is because you're a specialist and you get such a high volume of referrals of pathology and everything, if you start managing all the follow-ups by yourself, you're never gonna at have first time to see it's okay. Yeah, but within you know five, 10 years, your schedule is gonna be so yeah. bogged down with just dysplasia follow-ups, you'll never be able to see no. anything else. And I remember that was a hard thing about McGill because we were a specialty site, so you build up so many patients that you are doing these recall exams on people with previous dysplasia or SCC, and it just it really fills up to the schedule to the point where the whole schedule is full before you even wow. start adding the new patients. Yeah, that's crazy. So that did become a little bit of a difficulty. Finally, they mentioned there are currently no valid mechanisms to prevent the progression of oral mucosal dysplasia to cancer. So they are kind of mentioning that, unfortunately, at this time still, even if you diagnose a dysplasia or you're worried about lesion, we don't have anything that we know you can inject or use medication-wise, chemotherapeutics, or any kind of you know medications or injections that will prevent the progression. It is really just either diagnosing and excising with margins or just following up and hopefully it either regresses or doesn't progress. Yeah. So overall, I like this article. I thought it was a, a really good review, especially for residents, as you, as you mentioned. My only kind of disappointment was that they didn't really end up having a position or a consensus on treatment no, they didn't. or follow up when I, I do feel like if you're going to put the title position paper and make it as big a deal as they said, they didn't say like, you know, our center's experience with dysplasia or our recommendations from the surgeon. It's like, no, this is the Amos position paper. Like, I feel like it should be a little bit more thorough and a little bit more of a, a concrete uh, treatment plan. But so what I did agree. you think? What did you think of the article? So I agree with the, what you're saying with regards to the title, but they do mention in the article that a lot of this information is based on their experiences and their knowledge base together which is very significant with the people who are you're writing this article. So I will say they did mention that in the article, but overall, I think as an educational paper, as a learning, as an introductory for all residents, I think it's really good. I think for a refresher on just kind of maybe even saying, you know what, you're doing the right thing for, for practicing oral surgeons. I think the paper was good. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's fair enough. So that concludes our resident reminder. Now let's jump up into another article for our journal club. 
So for our official journal club this month, we have another article from Jameis, and this is Non-Union and Orthopedic Surgery, a case series of 15 patients. And we like this article because in our pre-screening, we see Carl Bouchard. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Shared a can at the University of Laval. Mm -hmm. So he actually does, first of all, we, he does actually a lot of orthopedic surgery, but he also actually does a lot of presentations mm -hmm. and lectures on orthopedic surgery. I attended one of his lectures at Amos in Nashville. And honestly, I thought this lecture was one of the most brilliantly wow. um, kind of laid out idea for a presentation. It was a panel discussion. He was one of the panelists. Yeah. And it's called uh, My Best Case and My Worst Case. And each person would go up one at a time and they would show like clinical pictures and describe yeah. what one of their best cases in orthodontics, like what them made them feel amazing. And also one of their worst cases. That's good. Though. And it was nice because you get to see like real clinical cases that they've done mm -hmm. and you get to learn a lot from the best cases. You learn like what they did and why and why it worked out. And from the worst cases, you learn about real life complications and how they addressed it and what they did. And the only downside about that type of presentation is you do get a lot of people that best case, they'll, they'll show their best case. And worst case, they'll do that thing it's where they're like, like is it, this is my worst case, but look, it all worked out and it looks great in the yeah, end. You're like, right. come on, this isn't really your worst case. Yeah. like, But it's Carl like, was forget, great. Yeah. Did you forget the one where the maxilla is not there anymore? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but Carl, no, Carl was great. He was like, literally, this is my worst case and this is why. And he was like straight up and honest about it. That's awesome. Very Quebecois, if you think about it. Like, they're pretty honest and yeah, blunt. <laughs> they're blunt. They're like, this is it. <laughs> yeah. He was very straightforward and I actually really, really liked his presentation. So. I thought that, you know, a future CAOMS event, they should really bring back this, you know, best case, worst case and apply, you know, different areas. And I think you have a lot of people with so much surgical experience, you could actually learn a lot. Mm -hmm. So what they want to talk about here is non-union. And that's, that's a very tricky thing to deal with and something that almost everyone will experience at some point in their career. Yeah. Have you had any personal experience with non-unions or worked with, you know, I know you know, work with obviously the other partners in your practice and doing jaw surgery with them. Can, does anything come to mind as far as, you know, dealing with this type of yeah. case or, or anything you've learned so i'll say in like including residency and now being out going on my fifth year i've seen two non-union cases both maxillas both maxillas and do you remember how they were addressed yeah so one honestly no offense to this kid but his head was a block man he was huge he had a square mm -hmm. head like you could tell this guy if he bites you he's like a hippopotamus like he has so much bite force <laughs> so i wasn't surprised at all some for we saw him in lesser dorsal clinic had a non-union, had actually fractured two plates. Um, mm -hmm. So took him back to the OR. I wasn't in I wasn't in there for his original or for his revision, but I know they took mm -hmm. him back to the OR, took the plates off. I don't want to get spoiled the article, but kind of did what I do in the article, put the plates back on. And as far as I knew, because I, I saw him for post-op before I left, but I didn't see him for mm -hmm. long-term post-op, he had been fine. Hadn't broken okay. any plates, occlusion was stable. But again, I don't know long-term either. Okay, that's good. Yeah. And the second, some second one was in private practice. Didn't break any plates, but it was a maxilla non-union. Tried to let it consolidate for a little while. Didn't happen. Took him back to the OR. Took the plates off. Put new plates on. Again, same thing what they did in the article, so I don't want to ruin it until we talk about it. And that one I have seen for long term, a year and a half out now, and, and everything looks good. Awesome. Yeah. That's really good. Have you had any? Or have you seen any? I, I had one that was referred to me at Mount Sinai. Oh, nice. Okay. Same thing, non-union maxilla. Yeah. So, yeah, similar thing to the protocol as far as going back to the OR removing the plates, removing the fibrous tissue, grafting the air, and then putting new hardware on. Yep. And so far, so good. So uh, one of them we grafted, of... the other one we didn't graft. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on your residual gap that you're going to have yeah. or how much fibrous tissue you have. Yeah. Because one thing, and they don't mention this in the article, but one of the things that people need to realize is, let's say you do a LaFord, and I say a LaFord, and you put them at their ideal vertical position, and they have a non-union. What you need to realize and why these cases are so tricky is when you go back, 
and you remove the plates, whether or not they're broken or not, you have a non-union. So it's a fibrous unit, it's mm -hmm. fibrous tissue where there's a gap. So you have to debride all that tissue. Mm -hmm. So what happens now? You have a gap between your superior bone and your inferior bone, but your maxilla is in the ideal vertical position. Yeah. So what are your two choices? You can put new, fixi new fixation on there and you're at your ideal position, mm -hmm. but then you have to graft the gap where you're mm -hmm. worried about healing and all that load is just on those four plates, the new ones you put, or you auto-rotate the complex up and then you have good bony bone contact mm -hmm. on brand new bone because you've debrided, but guess what? You've impacted. Yeah. So now you're not in the ideal vertical position. Yeah. yeah. So you may not need to graft, you might have better healing. So it's this constant mm -hmm. kind of battle it. between the two. And that's why during my fellowship, you know, they would often say revision cases are the hardest cases, especially in the maxilla. And they would mention one of the, you know, very, very few indications we have for custom fixation is in a non-union because you can get a custom plate that's Perfect very plate. rigid and hangs the yeah. maxilla down in that maintained vertical position and then you graph yeah. the gap in between. So I can see what they're saying and definitely this applied uh, to, to our scenario. I will say for my patient in particular, you know, there was obviously an aesthetic component where they, they had no vertical show, like, you know, mm -hmm. on smile, they were, on rest they were negative, on smile you could barely see them, so they had a very aged appearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of their motivations, other than their mobile maxilla, was, was was for that to try and increase their tissue. So we did try and down graft a bit sure. and we did and we did graft bone uh, from the hip. So it worked out well and she's, she's extremely happy now. So the article talks about bone non-union, you know, characterizing it by an absence of unification between fractured bones after mechanical immobilization in a surgical context. It's a rare post-surgical complication and it's between 0.33 and 2.6%. Mm -hmm. And often the symptoms that the patients will have will be bacterial infection, mobility at the site of the osteotomy, and then changes in dental occlusion causing discomfort to the patient. So it will generally lead to more surgery to remove the fibrous tissue and necrotic bone, and then mechanical immobilization of the osteotomy. So the purpose of the study was to report characteristics of patients presenting with bone non-union after orthognathic surgery, and the specific aims were to identify clinical characteristics that could represent risk factors for this complication and determine how patients respond to the treatment. So we like the purpose, yep. we like what they're trying to do, it's a very, very specific, narrow topic. So I kind of like that one. Yeah, I love because, that. Because, for example, if you have a non-union in your practice and you're trying to figure out how do I do this, you're going to look in the you know, articles what and you, you find up. this one. It is what you look up. It's like, okay, they're dealing with this one exact thing. Now, yeah. obviously, case series, not the highest level of evidence, but at least it's specific. So it is kind of talking about you know, what you want to know. So the inclusion criteria were mobility at the side of the osteotomy and the need for a second surgery. They had 15 subjects of 2,036. So it was an incidence of 0.74%. So it kind of lines up with the, yeah, the, the math and the, and the range that they talked about. The average forward movement was six and a half of the maxilla and seven of the mandible. And I like that they, they included that because they felt there's this myth that, you know, if you advance a lot, you know, you're, you're going to have way higher chances mm -hmm. non-union. But I mean, six and a half for maxilla is not a big advancement. And mm -hmm. seven for a mandible is also not that big an advancement. Mm -hmm. So it can happen in a variety of cases. So you kind of mentioned the protocol that they all did, but basically they were treated with a curatage of the fibrous tissue, new hardware placement, 11 received a bone graft, which was autogenous from, you know, the iliac crest or the tibia. Some got DBX, some got puros allograft, or some got a combination. And then four had Botox injections yeah. to reduce bruxism. So I think these are probably the two most common things that are talked about when it comes to non-unions. One is bone grafting, whether or not to do it. We kind of talked about that a little bit, but then there's Botox. Yeah. And, you know, especially you mentioned the guy with the really strong jaw, strong bite force. Mm -hmm. So 
what are your thoughts on that? Have you had experience, you know, administering Botox and when would you give it? And, and is there a specific type of patient you would use it for a Bruxer or like, what would you normally do for that? So uh, to be honest, I haven't done it. And it, I, and now that I, now that we were talking about the article again, cause I had read it a, a little while ago is I think they may have actually given him Botox, but I, I can't be sure on that, that they did to be honest mm -hmm. with you. And so no, yeah, so I, I personally I've, didn't. I've had some patients and you know, in the screening, when you're doing your orthodontic consult, you want to ask about Bruxism. Mm -hmm. And some people say, oh, I, I, grind, I grind my teeth or I, I clench my teeth or I use a night guard. And those aren't, you know, those are good to know, but those aren't the people yeah. that you're worried about. It's a, yeah, it's a strong master, square jaw. Yeah, you can tell. You um, can look at them. They're like, I go through five night guards a month. Like That's that's the key that I was going to say. It's they're breaking their night guards. Yeah. They're going through them constantly. And they usually bring it up as an issue. Those are the people you're really worried yeah, about. I and I think those are the people that can benefit from Botox. Mm -hmm. You do have to administer the Botox preoperatively. Yes. You know, anywhere from six weeks to... Two months three months sometimes people will give an advance because it does take a while to build up mm -hmm. and it only lasts a certain amount of time i wish i'd love it if you could just do it at the same time as the or yeah they're asleep, they're asleep they're there yeah. it'd be nice to just give it yeah but unfortunately you're missing the critical window it's too late to do it at that point you really want to do it in advance you know some patients might be different just logistics or travel or finances but ideally you want to do it in advance so a lot of times what i'll do is i'll do it at the surgical workup because you know well, surgical workups usually six yeah. weeks before so, or two months before, you can kind of time it. So you, you give the Botox at the surgical workup. So by the time you've done your virtual planning and the OR is ready, it's kind of settled in nicely. So it's, it saves them a trip and okay. you just kind of do it then. And so I have another question. Do you ever do a second dose? So I haven't yet. I've never had to do that with the patient. We do know that it's going to fade, you know, after three months mm -hmm. on average, you know, those effects are going to fade. My logic behind it is that, you know, six weeks for yeah. bone stabilization and three months for consolidation. So hopefully by the time it wears out, they're okay. You're yeah. But you are right in the sense that if it was like an extreme person or maybe like a non-union person because of that reason, mm -hmm. maybe you'd be a little more cautious and give it once pre-op and then also do it post-op. Mm -hmm. That's a good thought. But I've been fortunate so far that it hasn't been an issue. For and how many units do you usually like to give and how do you give it? Do you like to give it? So usually I'll just give it in the masseters because the temporalis, although it's muscle mastication, like that's not the one that's causing a yeah. fracture or non-union. <laughs> the forces are just relatively small. So usually I'll get 50 units in each masseter. And, you know, usually in the masseter, you yeah. do kind of the X, you know, the X over each masseter and mm -hmm. 10 unit injections. And uh, yeah, you don't need local anything. You just give it, you can do it in clinic, sterile, sterile alcohol pad. And do you, you use a pinch method side. where you go between you your two fingers and pinch the muscle? Or do you sound down to bone and come back up? So... Right. So I sound down and come back. That's the way that uh, we were trained at McGill. And actually, I have to give a shout out to Dr. Pompura, Julia Pompura, because she was the one that was doing a lot of Botox mm -hmm. for TMD mm -hmm. at the Montreal General Hospital. And, and what's great about her is she would literally tell those patients, because it's not covered by the government, even if it's for TMD, you write them a prescription, they would get their Botox and they'd bring it to the hospital. And she would book those patients in our clinic at the hospital. So we would get to see them. We would get to yeah. do them. It's like you get like hands-on experience. And she would usually do one. If you were new, she, you, you, she would do one side. You'd yeah. watch her. And then you would do the other side. And by the time you're a senior, you could do both sides. It, it was really good. And, and that's the technique she taught us. And I found it very reliable and it worked well. Have you had any pushback from patients not wanting? I guess when they're doing such a big surgery, they're going to be, they're not going to. No, because it, it's not for cosmetic reasons. So when I explain that, it's just because you're a heavy clencher and we're trying to reduce plate okay fracture that. and complications. Yeah, they, they don't care at all. Okay. Unfortunately, Botox is not covered, so they have to they have to pay for it. Yeah. And it is actually it's still incredibly expensive. Yeah. Uh, considering how, you know, ubiquitous it is, it's incredibly expensive. I don't charge to inject it, so they just have to go get it. Yeah. But it is expensive at the pharmacy, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get even just 100 units. So in the discussion, they do mention that, you know, smoking puts patients at risk. We do know that. 
Active smokers are two times more likely to present a form of non-union or delayed union and will on average have double the healing time compared to control mm -hmm. groups. So I found that was, you know, a known risk factor, but pretty shocking how, how damaging it can be. Mm -hmm. They did mention that they found a significant protective effect on plate fractures in patients who received Botox injections compared to the control group. And many patients in their study benefited from Botox injections either before the initial orthognathic surgery or when a non-union was noted. So they did say that for some people, you know, due to financial reasons, they weren't able to afford the Botox. But definitely when someone presented with a non-union, they really tried to encourage it and try and facilitate, yeah. facilitate it for those patients. So overall, I thought it was a good article. I thought I talked about non-units, kind of a good way of just addressing it and explain to those people that maybe aren't that familiar with it, what you can do and what a good protocol is. And I do completely agree with their, their steps and what they would do. But what did you think about this article, Oscar? I, same thing. I like when articles address one specific topic or a very concrete topic that we can kind of start at one point and, and get to an end result. And so I, I enjoyed this article. I thought it was well-written. I thought it is something that's clinical applicable, clinically applicable, which also I think matters when you're reading an article. So I actually really liked it. Awesome. I did. Well, Wendell, well. how would you treat this if it were a mandible? Would you put a recon plate or would you do debridement and replace the same fixation? So it's a good question. I guess it would depend on the original fixation yeah. you used. So, you know, some people will use a monocortical four hole plate in the mandible and that's just at one plate on each side. And we know that that can work. It's not rigid fixation. It's functionally stable, but you know, it, it works. And many people do that routinely for their mandibles. I, you know, was trained to use leg screws for the mandibles. So it's rigid fixation. It's 90 degrees bone on bone contact. So if a monocortical single plate were to fail, my, my next step would probably be to debride and try and get more rigid fixation, probably with a leg screw technique, or maybe do a combination, get a couple leg screws in there and then add a new plate on top. If they had rigid fixation with leg screws combined with plates, you know, really good fixation. And once you debride, you have enough of a gap or your word. I do think you don't necessarily need like one of those big bulky, you know, recon plates, you know, an L plate at the angle, but I do think maybe having like a six hole, two millimeter thick plate, three holes on either side, something more rigid and more bulky, I think is what my next step would be. And, and once again, Botox is still in play because it's the same muscles of mastication. It's the same. same and would you do a longer period of IMF or just bands or how would you feel about that? Or no IMF? So actually, yeah. for even for non-union cases, no IMF. So the thing about IMF is, and I think, I think it was Mark Engelstad. We always mentioned his episode, but I'm pretty sure he was the one that said, you know, you have someone that you're worried about non-union or failure of your fixation. So you put them in IMF. And he told us, you know, put your teeth together and clench and, and try and stay there without moving. And what you have to do is clenching and grinding way more because you feel like you're trapped, you can't get free. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, if they're in rigid, rigid IMF, it's not actually applying forces at the area you want to, to encourage union. You know, a lot of times these things are posterior to that area. So no, I, I never use IMF for these patients. You might use, I uh, will use elastic bands. And, you know, a lot of people sometimes will consi uh, consider a lot of heavy elastics. The thing is, it's counterintuitive. Remember, if you have a maxillary non-union and you debride and put in place, you put heavy elastics, the heavy elastics are pulling down on that maxilla. It's actually something better to do no elastics yep. but a strict liquid diet. And I find that that's a lot more helpful than doing any kind of rigid IMF or rigid elastic fixation. Very good. So, yeah, overall, I thought it was a good article and, and was a good talking point. We had some good discussion here. Before we move on to recommendations, I did want to mention one thing. You know, I, 
I always read the, the whole journal and we kind of pick up the articles that we think mm-hmm. will be good for the podcast. But I did stumble upon something we're not going to go into, but I just want to make sure I bring it up with you guys. So there was this article called Do Case Reports on Total Mandibular Extended and Bilateral Total Temporal Mandibular Joint Reconstruction Prostheses Adhere to the Surgical Case Report Guidelines? And it's by Hamid et al. And the reason this stood out to me is because I remember that we had talked about an ETJR article by Chadwick, Patty Brooks, and Caminiti. Yeah. And we brought it up with Caminiti on his live episode. And, you know, Jeff, former resident, just graduated. Patricia Brooks is a formal pathology resident. She was in my class in dental school. And we had told, I remember we brought it up to Marco. I was like, you know, they're, they were dating at the time and now they're married. Like, was this like controversial? Hoping to like stir up some controversy. And he was like, no, like I don't check in the relationship status <laughs> of like, like the people working on research. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, I didn't care. Like, why would that matter? So I saw this and I was like, oh, whoa, like if they did this review, technically their article should come up. And I went and looked at their table and it did come up. So it's included. Now, unfortunately, I was I was so hoping they were going to give like each article, like its own score in yeah. the table. And they don't. They just list all the articles. But I, I will say that the conclusion of this paper was. This study revealed that case reports in major high-quality CMF journals suffer from insufficient reporting. On relationship <laughs> status. <laughs> so, shots fired. And I, I laugh that their article was included, but unfortunately, it seems like it contributed to the, the lack of <laughs> sufficient reporting that this article claims is necessary. Honestly, I saw this title. I was like, this is... What does Wendell have to do with this? <laughs> he thought it was going to be a shameless plug yeah. or something. I'm like, where is his name in here? I'm trying to look for it. No, I'm like, is no. he one of the, like, I'm like, this is no, just, yeah. I haven't done a shameless plug in a long no, time. No, you haven't. Pretty you good. Haven't. Yeah. And trust me, let's be real. If my name was on this paper, it would be the feature. Would, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag yeah. pathology read coming to an app soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pathology read coming, coming soon to you. All right. That finishes our journal club. Let's jump into our last segment recommendations. So for recommendations, I will say, you know, one thing we did miss in this episode was fan mail. We didn't have as much fan mail as we normally do. It'd be nice for some people to reach out. So yeah. people, please, teeth and titanium, omfs at gmail.com, reach out, talk to us. We do want to hear from you. And, and Brad enjoys communicating with the, the listeners and getting some of the emails on the show. I did kind of prep you and Brad in advance, Oscar, saying that this recommendation section is going to be the longest one we've ever done. Yeah. When you wore me that, I was like, this is crazy. What was this guy been doing? Just sitting at home watching movies <laughs> So I think people really enjoy our recommendation seg- segment. I will say if you're one of the people that doesn't enjoy it, you don't need to listen to this Turn whole thing. Turn off right now. Yeah, you can fast forward. It's up to you. It's a free country. But the reason it's so long is, you know, we've just got in a groove now with two kids. I feel like life is chaotic, but you finally hit these like yeah. kind of milestones and, and routines where we are in a nice little spot where, you know, we can get Lennox down to bed. We can get Santa down to bed. They both go to sleep at relatively similar times sleeping well like you finally kind of are starting to get your evenings back and the other thing that i realized is that it's impossible to watch movies like they're just too long we don't have time but you can kind of watch a movie over two nights like you watch the first half one night and you watch the second half the second night. <laughs> yeah yeah not ideal i will say it's not ideal but it does mean that you get through a lot more movies so a ton of things i want to talk to you about so the first thing i'm going to bring up is some movies in the theater so usually I don't go to the movie theaters unless it's like a, you know, a really big movie or it's worth seeing on a big screen mm-hmm. or IMAX. So the first one I'll talk about is Mission Impossible. We have the new one, Dead Reckoning Part 1. First of all, I hate any movie that has Part 1 or whatever in the title. Like, okay. 
You could have just made one movie. Stop pretending this needed to be in two parts. Wow. So Shots already I go fired. annoyed that it's two parts. Yeah. Okay. So have either of you seen this movie? No. Oh, neither of you have. Okay. Pretty popular movie. I'm surprised you guys haven't seen it. So what I will say is, do you, are you guys familiar with the concept of the term plot armor? Do you know what that means? Plot armor? No. So no. it's plot armor. So it's actually a very simple concept. And basically it means, let's say Oscar, I'm making a movie about you. And I tell you, there's two parts. Well, you know, when, when Brad goes to the theater and he's watching part one, Oscar can't die. He's, he, yeah. right? He's, yeah. he's he in part two. He can't die. One. Yeah. So you have armor. You're protected by the plot. Meaning the plot can't kill you because you are necessary for the next one. So when I go to see Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one, every fight scene is meaningless. He can't die. What's the point of watching? What this? happens if he died? Would you be mind blown? Yes. So if, if they killed them, I'd be like, this is the greatest movie ever. Like, okay. mind blown. Okay. Or, or if at the end they finish and they're like, just kidding, there is no part two. You're like, mind what? blown. Okay. I'd be like, this is the greatest movie ever. But okay. you know, it's money grab. There's part two. So the problem is so many shows now and movies, because they are just reruns or redos or franchises or prequels, you know that characters have plot yeah, armor. Have so another example. Of, yeah. yeah. So another example I'll give Obi Wan which was a Disney plus show on star Wars. It's a prequel to, you know, it, it lines up in the movie somewhere. I think it's after episode three and before episode four. So it's a prequel movie, to the original three star Wars, you know, Obi-Wan can't die. Yeah. So when he's fighting Darth Vader, when he's fight, like, you know, he's not going to die. Yeah. You know, he can't even get injured it because he's no some injuries. Of, uh, something out of it. It takes something out of it. So I find that that's something I really don't appreciate. And just the whole part one, part two, this movie was two and a half hours long. It, they could have cut out an hour, and at that point, it'd be an hour and a half. And at that point, he might as well just made one movie with the whole thing. Wow. So it was entertaining. I enjoyed going to the theater. It's an action movie. It's just it's part one, part two. Part two comes out next year. I already know I'm going to go see part two. So like, would you, you know, recommend people stuck. watch it or not? Like, I'm confused now. I would recommend people wait for part two and just watch it all like at once. Like when part two is coming out, maybe just watch part one at home and then go and watch then go, part two. That way, okay. That way you don't have to wait a year in between. That's what I would recommend. Okay. So if you were at home, would you have fast forward every scene that Tom Cruise is in because you knew there was plot armor? And honestly, the fighting scenes, you could fast forward 90% of them. Because I'm still amazed that you do that. This is how I watch TV. I know. This is how I get it through It blows my, my mind that you guys do that. Yeah. I'm, and I won't lie, I've started fast forwarding through a lot of action sequences and movies I'm watching because I know the point. Guys, this is how you are efficient in watching shows. Why do you think I get through <laughs> things so quickly? <laughs> Also, as an adult, I'll be honest, action sequences don't really fascinate me as much as they did when I was a kid. Now, certain movies do action sequences really well. Like if you've ever seen John Wick number one, not like the other like 17 mm -hmm. movies they've made since. John Wick one is intense. Like the combat scenes, they are killing people. You went like, to trial. Like you're like, I need to learn how to do this. Yeah, it's like <laughs> impressive, the action sequences. But your standard run-of-the-mill action sequences, they don't really do anything. But anyways, that's my main issue is this thing called plot armor and applies to a lot of things. Okay. The other movie that I saw in theaters was Oppenheimer. Uh, have okay. you guys seen this movie in no, theaters? No, but I want to. So let me let me know. Both of you are not watching anything, man. Guys, it's I crazy. A, I have a three month old at home. You think I'm going to the theaters? <laughs> <laughs> Brad, what's your excuse? Too much time on the boat? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I already, I already told you what I'm doing. <laughs> Five days a week on the boat, man. What do you expect? A boat trip. Watch you have to wait till October. Then he goes to the theater. So yeah, I will exactly. say Oppenheimer. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I will say is. I'm obsessed with Christopher Nolan. Like he's my favorite director of all time. I've watched all his movies like literally 20 times. So I'm the most biased person in the world. So you yeah. can't really take my opinion, mm -hmm. but I will say for even people that are Christopher Nolan, like 
fanboys like me and you're obsessed with mm-hmm. Interstellar, Inception, Dark Knight, Memento, Prestige, like literally all the all best amazing. movies. Oppenheimer is not like those movies because it's historical. Yeah. It's based on real stuff. So it's very similar to Dunkirk. Okay. which was like a war movie. And I loved Dunkirk. And I remember when I left Dunkirk, I was like, this is a good movie, but eh, it wasn't like as great as his other movies. You know, when I left Interstellar, I was like, this is one of the, like, Inception. This is yeah. like one of the best movies ever. So I think I, I I loved it. It is very long. It's three hours. A lot of people complain it's way too long. Did you watch uh, But I will theaters? say, I watched in theaters. Oh, IMAX big screen. Okay, All Christopher Nolan movies, you have to go IMAX So did you watch screen. it over two even... days? Like, did you get one ticket for half the movie? <laughs> <laughs> That's that's the one good thing about going to theaters. You have to watch it all. No, luckily Bianca let me go, so she watched the kids. I went with a bunch of people. Oh, but okay. I will say, if you're considering watching this movie, you have to go in theaters. It's way better than theaters. That's what I heard. Soundtrack, yeah. volume. The, the okay, effects. but did you watch it in the correct IMAX? Because supposedly there's yes. a okay. I went IMAX 70 millimeters. I literally went to okay. like the most expensive. Like I'm obsessed with Christopher yeah. Nolan. Like or it's I like T Max or something. Like there's a difference. I was yeah yeah. We had it's to huge. Just, the yeah. screen was so huge. Like you feel like you're staring. You're like in front of a wall. Wow. It was so big. Okay um so i really enjoyed it but i can see why other people might not it is three hours long it's very long you have to be interested in history you have to be interested in the story so i thought it was really well done and i highly recommend it but i I do understand some other people may not enjoy it as much i would say if you like christopher nolan movies you obviously have to go and if you like his history movies because this is about oppenheimer and atomic bomb then you will like it okay Um, i feel like i'm gonna like it but I'm definitely going to the watch counterparts to that. She's going to be so bored for sure. Well, this is the thing about Lexi. So the counterpart that everyone's going to, and you know, I went to see Oppenheimer. My wife went to see Barbie. Okay. So I haven't seen Barbie, but you know, a lot of people are, are going to that movie and they're raving about that. So some people are going, you know, see both. Some people see one, they see the other. I assume both of you haven't seen Barbie if you haven't seen these other movies. No. <laughs> yeah, you guys are both like, yeah, we've, we've seen it for sure. What do you, it's like, what? I was the first person there. Yeah, so no, so Barbie, I haven't seen, but my wife went and she enjoyed it. The next thing I wanted to say was, so Netflix. Netflix has a ton of ridiculously good movies on right now. I don't know what's going on, if they just bought everything or what's what's happening, oh. but there is a ton them. of good Netflix movies. So Titanic, obviously everyone's seen Titanic, but, <laughs> you know, you just go back and rewatch it. And once again, three-hour movie, I watched it over several days. That movie is just so good. It's just so good. But I don't know. Does plot armor work there? Because you know what's going to happen. Or is no, no, not- that's different, right? No, no. Plot armor is when you're watching them for the first time. Oh, okay. what you're talking about is like a spoiler or rewatching. Okay. Like, yeah, I know the entire movie. Okay. Totally different. Okay. It's not like I'm rewatching Titanic being mad that I know that Jack's going to die. Spoiler alert. Okay. Right. Because I've seen the movie. Plot armor Jack is imagine dies? you watch Titanic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> plot armor would be imagine Jack was a character in real life that was alive There's right Titanic now. And you're watching too. Titanic. Okay. Yeah, you're like, what are we doing here? Like, I know this guy's going to be alive. So, like, I I love the movie. I just think it's so well done. I just think it's one of the best movies of all time. But I will say, as an adult, about an hour and a half in, at the exact halfway point, when they hit the iceberg, I don't know if I really need to watch the rest. You're like, they're going to die. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I want to watch all the mass death and the, and the destruction. And the, It gets really depressing yeah, halfway yeah. through. Yeah. So, I'd say maybe watch the first half and then call it a day. <laughs> And you know what? Put something else on. Next, we have the series that we were hyping up for quite a while because it's part of our, you know, what's it called? Drive to Survive, yeah, yeah. Full Swing, all that stuff. So Quarterback. Oh, that's so Quarterback came out. Yeah. So have you watched it, Brad? Have you watched it? Yes. Yeah. So Brad's watched all of it. Oscar, have you? That was going to be my recommendation. Like, you're just taking okay, everything. Okay, so why don't, you, why don't you go first then? Talk about it. And so 
No, actually, go first because my recommendation this this month or like yeah, this this podcast is going to be quarterback, but it's also about a bunch of different things. So you just talk about it, and I'll give you my two cents after. Okay. Yeah. So quarterback, I was excited because it follows that same kind of you know storytelling art that we all talked about. I started watching episode one, I was really hyped. I'm out. I didn't watch it. Oh, like you it. didn't. And I realized the problem is I follow the NFL like religiously. Yeah. I watch games every week. I listen to podcasts. I read stuff online. I'm so entrenched in the NFL world that I'm not going to learn anything new from this, except all like the puffy, fluffy stuff that I don't care about. I don't care about their lives. I don't care about their upbringing. So, I don't care about that stuff. So the I, one I, difference I, I will say, or the one thing I'm going to add to that is I yeah. agree with you. Like if for a mainstream sport, it's hard because we know so much about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like if you were a diehard Formula One fan, you'd be like, what the heck is the point of Drive to Survive? Like this is yes. stupid. The yeah. one thing is, Lex enjoys it and it's a way for her to get involved in football. Yeah. So for me, it's a huge tool, right? This is your master plan. This right? is exactly so like, use like, Netflix shows to make her like literally. Sports. We watch all these shows, right? Tennis, she's a tennis fan now. Like she wants to go to like the US Open and all these other things, oh, right? Wow. Yeah. Golf, same thing. She's like, oh, let's learn golf together. I'm like, I'm already doing it with Wendell, so I gotta kick you out. I can't do it with you. <laughs> <laughs> same thing, Formula One. And now same thing with 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 quarterback. That's the reason why uh, I really like this show. Fair enough. Yeah, I, di- I didn't even bother trying to get Bianca to watch this. I mean, she watched Formula One Drive to Survive with me. Yeah. But I've never made her watch the other ones. Brad, you watched Quarterback. Did you like it? I did. You follow the NFL quite closely, too. I do. I had a really nice appreciation for Kirk Cousins. He's a beauty, um, eh? Good guy. He just seems like a nice human being. Yeah, like a nice, yeah. nice human being. The whole thing with Mariota became very interesting, just how things go down yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. And I think Patrick Mahomes, you just see how great he is. Like oh, mm-hmm. he could compartmentalize everything. Like he, the guy is so smart and so talented at football. Like it's amazing. And so. I also was surprised he seems also like a very nice guy too. He and does. When you're, very when down you're to that earth. talented, it's hard to be yeah. that down to earth and nice. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think we see that in our own profession. Like people that are just super talented, super down to earth, you know, willing to give their time for yeah. a variety of different things. And they just you can see that elevation of, you know, what you want to strive to do. Yeah, that's true. If you want to be the best. So, yeah, if they had like a Netflix show on oral surgery, they'd call it Teeth and Titanium behind the scenes. Brad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brad, which is Brad. <laughs> no, it's worth a three. I'm on a Brad. Brad is Mahomes. I'm Brad is Mahomes. No, I'll Brad be Mariota. Brad <laughs> Brad's Mariota gets cut loose yeah. at the end. <laughs> <laughs> he goes rogue. He just goes rogue, Brad. He's like, I'm yeah. done. I got two boats. I'm leaving this podcast. <laughs> Brad in the USFL. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be fair, people people do like the show. And you're right. It does appeal to the masses. It's just for me personally, I'm out. It's the first one I didn't like. I couldn't do it. And I think it's just because I know too much about the sport. I, I just don't want to watch. I don't want to spend eight hours of my life watching a sport. I feel like I already know. Yeah. About. Well, it doesn't sound like anyone wants to be in season two. So I don't think you'll have to worry about it. Yeah. yeah everyone keeps declining. <laughs> yeah. But I did want to mention there's another similar kind of line of shows that kind of follow that dramatic documentary knowledge gaining type series. So there's bad sport, which is like corruption in different Mm -hmm. sports and like specific events. There's rotten, which is the food industry and how different food industries are corrupt. There's dirty money, which is corporations and show different corporations, how they were had scandals and were corrupt. And then there's untold, which is sports documentaries, but kind of knowing behind the scenes and what's happening. And the new Untolds are coming out, and I pretty much watch them the day they come out because they're just so good. I don't know if you guys have watched all of them by now, but they are, Brad, I highly, I highly recommend I haven't, but they're the all on my list. 
All of them. Oscar, you need, you will yeah. love them yeah. for sure. I know you watched the Manti Teo one, but like, I just watched the Johnny football one yeah. about Johnny Manziel. Yeah. It is just insane what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. No, I'm that, those are all on my list. Like next things to watch this weekend. Yeah. So I highly, highly recommend that. And then just to fly through some like classic, classic, classic movies that I'd never watched before. Remember, I'm trying to catch up on all these movies that mm -hmm. everyone grew up on, but I never watched. Starting out with Pulp Fiction. Very famous movie. I think I've tried Brad, to watch that movie it? three times and I don't think I've ever finished it once. No. You've never watched it, Oscar? I tried to watch it three times and I've never finished it. And Brad, no. you've never seen it? Brad, what? I would have bet a million dollars you've seen it. I'm not Pulp a big Fiction. movie watcher, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. So maybe you want to see a lot of these. So Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino, classic. Amazing movie. Like, very, very good. It's very unique. Like, it's a very weird movie. Like, it's like the weirdest movie you've ever seen. It doesn't really make sense. But Bruce Willis. Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta. Very funny, very random, very good movie. Okay. So I, it lived up to the hype. It okay. definitely lived up to the hype. I'll give it mind. a fourth try then, just because you're saying it's worth it. It's, it's tough, but keep in mind, I watch everything over two days, right? You watch okay. one and a half. That's one why. Then, one up the other day. Yeah. <laughs> the next one is Heat. Have you ever heard of Heat? No. I have seen Heat. Okay. So I've never even yeah. heard of this movie. It's Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in the prime of their career going against each other. I already love it. It's like a, I already love it's it. a bank heist movie. It's a phenomenal. With Val Kilmer. Yeah, with Val Kilmer. It's yeah. phenomenal. I can't I'll watch. I'm going to watch this. I had more hype, so it's called Heat. Unfortunately. That's one of the, the opening scene of that. So good. When it all goes down. Oh, so good. It's amazing. Okay. One of the best scenes. And it actually, something very similar happened in real life in LA. Yeah, I think it's like loosely based off something yeah. that happened. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna watch um, this. So, yeah, Oscar, like he. And it's a, it's like a more of a real life action scene. Like you can actually believe. It's very realistic. It down. Very realistic. Very well done. And just like De Niro and Pacino at their prime, like you can't go wrong. I will say, unfortunately, it's three hours long. So you're in that little two territory days. where two days. You got it. Two days. <laughs> yeah, it's a two day movie. You got it. One half and one half. We don't have time to watch three hours. I'm yeah. just gonna put that out there. The next one I watched. This isn't a Netflix movie, but Air which is the Michael Jordan Nike shoe signing deal movie. Oh, okay. Brad, you've seen it? No. I'm uh, shocked yeah, Oscar has yeah. seen this. It's a sports movie. How have you not seen this? I got kid, man. Like, I'm, it's funny. I think we switched roles. This was me yeah, three I'm months ago. It. You're, you're, you're just going <laughs> nuts on the shows. And I'm like, damn it, I'm missing all these things and I haven't I'm going watched going nuts. It. And I can already see Farrell being like, all this guy does is watch TV. <laughs> he never works, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But whatever. I've been, I told you recently we've been, we haven't been watching any TV shows. We've only been just crushing through movies. Yeah. So Air is a story about how Nike got Michael Jordan to sign with them and mm -hmm. then develop Air Jordans versus going to Adidas. And it's Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. It Ooh. is ridiculously like crazy how, how, how like wild the story is. Like okay. what we think of, of Nike and basketball shoes right now. No, but they're nothing. They were nothing. It was like, they was were the non-existent. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were nobody. Yeah. Well, I knew that, that but uh, I'm going to watch this too. Yeah, you'll really like that. Uh, and it's not that long. I think that one you can watch in one sitting. Okay. So I highly recommend that. Indiana Jones trilogy. <laughs> so here's another classic trilogy I've never this? seen. I watched the whole trilogy. Yeah. I think last time, I think I talked about what Raiders of the yeah. Lost Ark and yeah. how it was good. And especially for like, what, 1981, mm -hmm. it was really good. So obviously, you know me, no spoilers. So I, I just watched these things without looking anything up. So I watched the second Indiana Jones, probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It was just terrible. <laughs> like I was pulling my eyes out to get through this movie and then ironically after the fact it turns out like people hated the second movie like it was a huge letdown oh, after the first one okay. like apparently Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark like redefined cinema yeah like, one of the greatest movies of all time it's considered I think mean, it's a little bit of a stretch but yeah it was good 
Temple of Doom, which is the second one, is considered like the worst sequel, like terrible movie. And I agree. It was literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And then they made the third one, The Last Crusade, and had Sean Connery as like kind of like an apology to everyone about how bad the second one was. And the third one's great. Oh, great movie. Very, oh, so very entertaining. Very well done. So have you guys seen the whole trilogy? And do you agree? I haven't seen any of them. I have seen them, them, but I was probably under 10 years old. So I don't yeah. remember. I got, <laughs> yeah, okay. I got nothing on those. The question is, have you moved up to the fourth and fifth? No. So apparently the no. fourth is like the worst movie of all time. And the fifth, yeah. it didn't do well. So I think I'm done. You're just going to cut it? You're going to cut your losses? I, I think I cut my losses. And it, it, it's the type of thing where I can't in good faith sit here and tell you, Oscar, like you have to watch this trilogy because yeah. although it's the most like, classic, one of the most classic, iconic series of all time, like I don't know if you're missing out yeah, I don't, on the fact I don't that you haven't seen it. Time. No. Yeah, I don't think it's worth your time. Yeah. I got to say that. And then... Two last movies were like comedies. You know, after you watch a lot of movies, you kind of want to, you kind of want to mix it up and go to different genres. Yeah. Something lighthearted. So you get into comedies. You, I watched a lot of comedies, but one of the comedies that's considered like iconic is Step Brothers. Yep. With Will Ferrell, John C. Riley. Have you guys seen this movie? Yeah. So many, so much more room for activities. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brad, how about you? Yeah. I think I watched it in stages, you know, whenever it's on TV, but I do know, I, I know, yeah. It's considered one of Will Ferrell's best performance. I loved Will Ferrell in old school. I thought old school was yeah. his best yeah. time ever. He was hilarious as a cameo in Wedding Crashers. Didn't think this movie was that good. Oh, okay. Didn't, right. didn't find it that funny. Okay. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. So once again, on Netflix, though, Netflix has a ton of movies. And last but not least, my you know 45th recommendation. So there's this movie called Clear History, which I'm convinced no one has ever heard of. No, and I've no never idea. heard of this movie ever. And I just was recommended to me by my brother. So I just pulled it up and started watching it. It's not on Netflix, but I downloaded it. And I started watching it and I'm just watching like, what is this about? And all of a sudden, Larry David appears. And I'm like, oh, okay. Larry David is like the main character. I like that. And then another character from Curb Your Enthusiasm appears. And it's pretty much literally just Curb Your Enthusiasm, the movie. Oh. So for people like me that are obsessed with Curb Your Enthusiasm, and I think it's the greatest comedy of all time. The movie is just like a Curb Your Enthusiasm movie. Now, granted, it's not the greatest movie. Like, if you were just to look at it objectively, like, Oscar, if you don't like Curb Your Enthusiasm, I'd never like... recommend this movie for you. Yeah. But for all of our listeners that like Seinfeld and like Curb and they've seen every episode multiple times, I guarantee you haven't heard of this movie. And it is phenomenal. It's just one big Curb Your Enthusiasm movie. <laughs> okay. And it's all the same, like, it's all the same actors. They brought everyone back. Okay. So, so, so I, I have another question. I'm confused with your recommendations this time. Because half the things you've recommended, you don't recommend to yeah. watch. Yeah. So I guess this the segment would <laughs> so be recommendations. So can we narrow down to what you think of these things we okay. really should watch? Okay. Here we go. Then if I were to summarize, yeah. Titanic, watch the first half. Okay. Oppenheimer, watch it in theaters. Okay. Pulp Fiction, watch it on Netflix. Heat, watch it on Netflix. Yeah. Indiana Jones, skip. Okay. Step Brothers, skip. Clear History, watch if you like. Clear History, if you like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. And Air, I would recommend watching. And All the Untolds, watch. Oh, yes. Oh, Oscar. Okay. By the time we record next time, I want you to have watched every Untold because you will love every single one of them. They're just so good. That's what I'm doing this weekend. There's no question. One came out today and it's the one about how all the baseball players were juicing. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Like, so this is what I mean. Like, I'm going to love this. But so my recommendation... I really do think we flip-flop like our lives a little bit. Mm-hmm. This used to be me where I had so many recommendations and I pretty much watched everything. You would have named it, I would have watched it. 
the last three months, obviously, I got a little guy, so that's changed. My recommendation was going to be the only show I've really watched lately was quarterback. So that was, but we touched upon it. I do like it. I agree that if you know the sport, like as well as we do, you're not going to enjoy it because there's just a lot of fluff going on. It doesn't make you appreciate mm-hmm. these quarterbacks and what they go through and like how much of a beating they take. I think it's good mm-hmm. if you want to get your significant other interested in the sport because the fluff sometimes is what makes them interested. So in that sense, I would say I'd recommend it. Watch it with your significant other. And, and I did like it. But my bigger recommendation is is spend time with your family. So the last, like the first eight weeks, I would say of, of being a parent were really hard in my opinion. Now, I'm not saying anyone else's, but for me, they was, it was hard. Like it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work for mom. And the baby doesn't really give you much gratification back, right? Like mm-hmm. they don't know anything. They don't do anything. All they want is eat and they cry and then they sleep and then they poop. And that's really the cycle you go through for eight weeks. And then it's like they turn a little corner and they start to have gestures and facial expressions and they're happy to see you and they track you with their eyes like all these things start to happen and very quickly that gratification starts to happen as a parent and you become so attached and so really what we've been doing this last month which is why i haven't watched much tv is anytime we have any spare time we're doing little road trips like we're driving Mm -hmm. i live in midtown and we're driving to burlington it doesn't sound far but it's about an hour and a half drive for me and you check out a new little city and then we drove to stratford recently again another cute city in ontario and next week we're driving to blue mountain it's just these little road trips and spending time with them has been amazing i would say so that's my recommendation try to get out and spend some time with your family enjoy the time that you can especially when your work schedule is really busy like the summer and taking that time i've really enjoyed it yeah and what's nice is you've done this thing where instead of taking just like one week off you'll like scatter days throughout which honestly i find so much better yeah like because you're having a random thursday off is just like the greatest thing it's amazing and and it's funny because if i take a full week off and i don't go on vacation i feel like oh why am i just wasting time i'm just i should be working and making money for our family because it's a full week but if you just take one random day where it's like you take a tuesday and it's like you know what let's go for a drive down to the water you have an amazing time with your family and it's you're back to work the next day so don't you don't feel like you've been useless for that week yeah, fair yeah. enough. No, I think it's a solid recommendation. Brad, you got anything for us? Buy a boat. Go. Yeah. <laughs> go outside. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. While, while the weather's nice, you got to you gotta go outside and take advantage. So I, I obviously haven't been doing that at all since I've just been watching movies all day. <laughs> this was this was crazy. When you warned us that it's going to be long for your recommendations, I'm like, listen, it's gonna be, I told it to be long. And I said, if people don't like it, they can fast forward. But yeah. the reason is two reasons. One, as I mentioned, instead of watching TV shows, we just watch like an hour of a movie at night and then you end up getting through movies every two days you've watched a movie right yeah. so over the course of a month you can watch 15 movies and the second thing is as I, you know and you'll see this you go through these phases where you go through phases of having absolutely no time mm-hmm. and you literally are just drowning all the time and then you go through other phases where finally you feel like you have your evenings back and then it goes away again and then everyone gets sick and then you're unsick like it's just like a constant cycle yeah. back and forth but luckily in the past couple of months we, we have hit a little bit more of a reasonable spot where like for example you know, we can put kids to sleep and we can record this podcast and I don't have to worry about anything. That's amazing. And, you know, be on to watch a movie and like we yeah. can just hang out. So that's why I've been crushed. So I'm hoping if, if things stay similar, you know, you'll, you'll get used to me just talking about all these movies that I've watched. Well, you know what? We got to fill those time up, though, because we still have to take our golf lessons. Yes. So yes. I'm officially going to look into that tomorrow because I work with Riddy. I'll get the contact info from the guy. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something we're looking into for sure. And that's it for this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening. This has been our 34th episode and we, we really enjoy doing it. We have a lot of fun. If you want to reach out to us or be a guest on an episode or recommend a guest, you can email us teethandtitaniumomfs at gmail.com. 
If you would like Brad to feature on your next podcast, that's not our podcast, you can reach him at don't even think about it at gmail.com. <laughs> Signed longterm.com. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love how I brought up this as like an attempt to get you to admit that you kind of dropped the ball with Brad and, and we gave him too much like acceptance. And you you flipped it on me into let's sign Brad to like a long-term <laughs> extension and lock him down. Like, like this is not the way I thought this conversation You're like, this is going the up. complete opposite of what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's been a year, so I'm trying to leverage this into, you know, a couple more years that yeah, you guys yeah. have, man. It's a long-term so, deal. That's what I'm saying. Long-term exactly. deal. Exactly. And, and I hope in the future we can get a lot of really good guests to keep our audience entertained. So watch See, out. There, there's, there's Brad. <laughs> there's the tease. There's yeah. the tease. Yeah, there's the tease. There's the tease for sure. All right, everyone, thanks for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Take care, guys.